Evening, Flucker fans. Good evening. Good morning. How Good are we all? Ain't we all good? Yeah, yeah, it's a big new hello. A big new one. Well, when I say big, it's a big hello because we love to have new hellos, but size-wise, not terribly big. It's hello to all our new friends in Estonia. Estonia, another country. Too. Yeah, so fantastic. I've been there. Oh, yeah. Where, where, went through, stayed in Tallinn, did the old city, went across the ferry to, uh, to Finland, Helsinki. It was a great time. I love Tallinn. I love Estonia. So it's uh, Tervist to uh, all our Estonian friends. Tervist? Tervist. I can't roll my R's. Oh. I'm sorry. So that rules me out of any kind of conversation in the whole of Eastern Europe, really. Mm. However, Estonia is more like Finnish and Northern rather than Eastern. But uh, lovely country, thoroughly recommend you can go there and you can get flights for about 50 quid. Or well, they could see you, the... Uh, the, sh- the sh- oh, the- <coughs> ah, yeah, 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 not my real so, name. The, uh, yeah, your travel agency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, flying out today to your beautiful home here, <laughs> over the Indian Ocean, uh, with, uh, with the friends that we've brought yeah, along. Another would- special guest. Yeah, I know. And we yeah. can actually use his real name. He's happy to use his real name. Well, he said he was. To he, may, he may live to regret that, of course. But uh, it's a very warm welcome to... Good evening, gentlemen. It's Roger Bark here, ex-Central Force Support and Dog Section. Welcome, Roger. Welcome. (laughs) He's seen a bit of action then, Force Support. I didn't know that as well. Mm. So what we're all interested to hear is how did it all start? When you joined? Why did you join? And what happened to you after you did? Well... Or battle scars and all. Yeah, yeah we all know all, all the good bits and the bad bits. Wow. Uh, so you've got a bit of all sorts, haven't you? have only got an hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, joined in 82. Um, my very simple... What month? July. July, all right. So just after the uh, just after the Falklands War then? Just after the Falklands War. Yeah. And just before the miners' strike. Yeah. Oh. yeah so that was, that was interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Basically, uh, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do really when I was school. Um, I was always sport mad. I was never good enough to play any sport professionally. Um, but I always had this notion that I like to help people. And that was really what motivated me to join. Um, and for a good part of the good part of my service life, certainly the first two thirds of it, I think that was how the job operated. I know we, I know we, we, Gave a service that a lot of people didn't really welcome, but that's that goes with the territory. Uh, but we did, I think you know certainly it was a, a police family um, for those first first twenty years. Right. How old were you then when you joined? Twenty one. Twenty one. So did you do anything before that? You've been in education. You've been in education. Well. Mind you, a dog handler, so I'm not sure how much education I'm Hey! <laughs> 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 we were going to... He's, he's, he's gone, dog he's gone. Ross, come back. <laughs> Heel. Uh, uh, basically, uh, I, I did stop on at school. Uh, sixth form was a disaster. Uh, lots of reasons for that. Um, primarily, uh, a very bitter and acrimonious breakup of the family, um, which... I didn't realise at the time, but obviously had quite a, quite an effect. Uh, at eighteen, when I left, knowing that my A levels were going to be in, <laughs> might have spelt fudge. I think. Um, I first thing that came up was to work in a bank. Uh, so I worked for the TSB of Yorkshire Lincoln for three years. Um, first year was okay because you're earning a wage and you think you're all grown up, um, but. 
I could never settle to being in an office. Uh, you know, I spent you know, all my life out and about, be it cricket, football, playing sport, and being penned in an office just wasn't for me. Um, I stuck it for another year. Uh, I sort of knew, I knew it was sort of 12 months, it wasn't right. Um, I actually went back to see my old careers, uh, Mistress, Mrs. Flinders, as she is now, uh, a remarkable lady. Uh, and um, she said, Look, you know, give it another 12 months. If you still feel that way, then, you know, make a decision. So I did, uh, and um, it took me 12 months uh, back in the day to to get myself through the application uh, procedure, which is, was a lot, lot simpler then, uh, I believe, um, and joined July 82. Uh, went up to Dishworth, had a good time up there. It was a, it was a, it was really quite military then. Right, yeah. Um, you know, you marched everywhere and, you know, on, on parade yeah. and, and so all that sort like of thing. Like a disciplined, disciplined organisation. Yeah. You know, I went up with what I thought was a short back and sides and day two I had a real short back and sides. Uh-huh. Uh, a bit like yours, Fletcher, actually, but not quite as stylish. <laughs> yeah, mine's ready for a chop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, 10 weeks, whatever it was, 12 weeks at Dishworth. Mm. Um, after about week, 10 I think it was you found out where you were going and um, I went to Nottingham Central and for a small town lad like me that really was quite an awakening uh, to go to work in the big city yeah I can imagine what were the biggest surprises for you when you were uh, when you landed in, in the city oh, it, was, it was the it was the pace of things really um, how, how many would have been on a shift in, in those oh, days oh well in those days in those days um, so would have been this would have been still at 82 then wouldn't it when you've joined 82, central. Yeah. 82 was it central, were called central then central central yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, shoplifters drunks and fights that's all that's all central probationers did right. apparently um, yeah uh, a section would have been a section inspector two sergeants a station sergeant because it was pre-paced Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there'll be 10 on each side of the shift and then you would have your control room staff wow uh, that's, a lot of that's quite a few bodies that isn't uh, it well on a Friday Saturday night when you had what was known as fixed points because yeah. you know, you, you're going pre, pre-cameras pre-internet pre-everything so probably prehistoric really <laughs> so for the, for the newer listeners then and maybe the listeners abroad foreign cops you want to explain what a fixed point is for us? Absolutely, yeah. A fixed point in in the city, uh, in line of sight from the top of the city, which would have, you would say, would have been the Victoria Centre or the Into Centre, as it is yeah. known now, uh, across to Theatre Square, all the way down uh, Market Street, um, uh, Columbus Street, through the Market Square, down Lister Gate all the way down, right the way down, through the Broadmarsh Centre, right down to those who remember it, Barry Noble's Astoria, I think it's now called The Ocean. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, um, so that's a fair spread of this, isn't it? a fair spread. There were, there were cops in line of sight all the way through there. You couldn't, there were on, on, to a two on virtually every street corner. You prayed on at night, uh, on a Friday, Saturday, um, there would be your two, the two halves of your shift, which would be 20 cops. There would be the evening shift, um, would come back into parade, uh, and again, there'd be an equivalent amount. You'd have specials, you would have special ops, as it was then, traffic, mounted, dogs. There, there were a lot of cops. There were a lot of cops out. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but 
it, it really worked. I bet that was fun. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it, it was great. fantastic. You know, mm. um, in those days, you might say, um, if there was a fight, it was generally drink related. You know, certainly, and if somebody had got a bit of cannabis, that was probably more prevalent than some of the stuff that you get around here nowadays. So going back to them days then, I remember cops. So I would have been fairly young yep. in 82. I remember getting cuffed and stuff by, by the bobbies for riding on the path and stuff like that. But is it, is it true to say that if there was a fight, the cops would fight amongst themselves to get to the front? Pretty much so, Pretty yeah. much, okay. Pretty much so. There, there, were, yeah. there were one or two uh, that you might say were uh, sometimes a little backwards at coming forwards, but generally speaking... Uh, but again, when I when I went there, uh, most of the guys were over six foot tall, mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't that long prior to that that they'd, um, I think, rescinded. There, were, there used to be a certain thing you had to be over six foot to be to be at Central Central, right. which was uh, was a washover from the old city police days, I believe. And certainly on my shift, when I on my half of the shift, uh, I'm six foot four. And I was probably halfway down the pecking order. There were some absolute monsters, wow. and guys who were very, very, you know, took no nonsense. Like yeah. In that way, um, you know, the legendary Tug Wilson. Tug Wilson. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was I was fortunate enough to work uh, some stuff with with him, and later in my in my central service, I did eighteen months as a full time square man. Right. Uh, so I did nine five mornings and two ten nights or two twelve nights if we got uh, got overtime, um, which was just a fantastic experience. And when you say square man, you mean the market? Square. Old market square. Yeah. That was that was that was that was where I worked. Uh, when when Tug retired, uh, we laughingly said he went on CID because he went as a runner for uh, Lloyd's Bank. Right. Uh, so he, he was still on the square, still using the same tea spots. He just happened to be in a, in a suit, not in the uniform. Um, but a, a legend, an absolute legend. Um, I was fortunate enough to, and, and Tug had his, had his moments and had his little idiosyncrasies. Um, he was very good at getting officers to take jobs on for him. Um, there would be a, a classic, there used to be the, the, uh, the phone box on the Market Square outside Yates's. Yeah. And a not untypical thing would be 266 Central, which was his. So, yeah, go ahead, Chug. Yeah, could I have a police officer down to the uh, to the to the phone box, please, uh, for an inquiry? So, nearest probationer would would go down. What's up, Chug? Uh, there's there's two in there for larceny. <laughs> for, for what? For larceny? What's larceny, Chug? Uh, it's, uh, it's just it's like theft but older. <laughs> okay, Chug, right? Where are they from? And so you you know you would take this you would you would take them off in. Uh, um, and being very young in service, uh, you, you had to, you know, everything was by the book, obviously. So continuity of evidence and all that sort of thing. So in this particular occasion, when it happened to me, obviously uh, you put time, day, date, what he did, what he saw, what he did. Uh, and I put in my pocketbook, at whatever time it was, liaise with PC266 Wilson. And as a result of what he told me, I saw what these two lads spoke to them, told them they were under arrest for theft from wherever it was. Uh, went in, did the business. Now, of course, what I didn't realise that Tug put very little in his pocketbook, of course, but because I'd put it on 
in the statement. He had to then do it, yeah. He then, well, he then got warned for court and he was not best pleased with me. So, because he couldn't remember who it was. <laughs> but if ever I've seen a man who commanded authority on the day we went to court, it was Tug. Um, we walked in and he had such a bearing. Um, we walked in and he just eyeballed the the, the three magistrates at worships, just nodded his head at him, and they all went, hello, Mr. Wilson, how are you? And I thought, what is going off here? So, of course, Tug, as I'm officering the case, I'm the last one to go in. Uh, so Tug goes in, uh, and uh, from what I can gather, because uh, you can hear a little bit down when you're out, so you have to wait outside, so I could hear a little bit of what's going off. And quite clearly, the... Uh, the young solicitor who was defending was trying to give Tug a hard time. And I heard him raise his voice and say something to the effect of, I've told you once, that's what happened. And obviously the guy was pushing it. In the end, I overheard the magistrate say, Mr. Wilson has told you once, you don't have to ask him again. <laughs> and I thought, wow. That was the end of it. And that was the end of yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the guy was, was an absolute legend. Um, and it was a privilege and an honour to actually work with him. Well, that's raised a glass now, Tug. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, Tug. Yeah. And he was like to have a beer. Well, he did, he did. Um, and, you know, clear, clearing pubs out, again, was something that... Because uh, there was obviously... Uh, there was quite a, a culture of liking a drink uh, back in the day. Uh, and I think... By about, the cops. By the cops. About a year before I went there, apparently there'd been a major shake-up uh, to try and sort of get a grip of, of what was happening. But even uh, even when I joined there, there were still pockets of it, of guys who disappeared off nights and, you know, went on inquiries, you might say. Um, and again, back in the day, before door staff, you used to get the odd bounce on a nightclub, but in pubs, it was unheard of because the cops would go in and clear pubs out. And you know, on the square, it would be the flying horse. You'd do the flying horse, Yates's, and you would always do the bell last because they, they were always the ones that sort of served people as long as late as possible. And then it was a bugger to get them out. And as, as you know, if you've been in the bell, it's quite a, it's a, quite a quirky place mm. to actually sweep people out. Good pub, actually. Isn't it? Good pub, yeah. yeah. Uh, Yates's was always entertaining because there was there was a piano. There's always an old guy there playing the piano and that, and he played till the till the last knockings. And back in the day, you had I think it was a ten minute drinking up time. So you go in it, you know, sort of you walk you walk in the pub, you go upstairs, and you would start clearing people. And if they got half a pint, you said right, you either sup it or lose it. And you'd get some people who would give you a little bit of grief. And, you, and it was the standard practice. You would take it off them and tip it down, down the waist thing. Right, out you go. And you do that all the way through, down the stairs, clean them all out. Then the downstairs, you do exactly the same. <laughs> get to the end, of, just as the last one's going out, two pints arrived on the end of the bar for the two cops who've cleared it out. And this was something that was a bit of a revelation to me. Uh, and... I have to say, I declined because the only probation, I mean, you were just terrified of that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But, you know, the, some of the senior cops that I, uh, that I worked with did imbibe, 
you might say. Um, but it's happened in the finals. It happened in Yates's, and it happened in the belt, and it happened everywhere mm. else. There was, I think, I think back in the day, there was almost a landlord's allowance for for cops. I think <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it was it was entertaining. It worked then, didn't it? Well, it did yeah. work. It's amazing. Different time. Different time. It, it is. Yeah. But it's amazing. It's not that long ago in in the grand scheme of policing that cops were going in pubs and clearing people out. That was the jobs. I mean, I remember as a as a young probationer doing walkthroughs. Yeah. But that. But that was it. Only did walkthroughs. There was no clearing of pubs, and certainly no <coughs> alcohol consumption. Yeah. That was the, it, it. Was standard practice that you went in and you cleared them out. Yeah, amazing. Isn't it? That, you know, and it was you know certainly in my and I left Central December eighty seven, uh, and certainly it was still happening then. Although they'd started to get, you'd started to get door staff. Uh, that became a little bit more prevalent towards the end of my time there. Um, so the, the the pubs that had that didn't need it. Yeah. But occasionally, or you'd get, what would happen is if the door staff had got a problem with an individual, they'd come out and fetch you. Mm-hmm. And you'd go in and you know, do what you need to do mm-hmm. um, and uh, see them gently on the way. Right. So what happened in December 87 then? December 87, um, I transferred to force support. Uh, which when it was for support when the unit was a unit when the unit was and the unit. soap was on the rope you can look at me and I say uh, yeah our, our unit when it was the unit not like you yeah okay <laughs> uh, I'm all for a bit of humour but mm. you know what the, the, the for support was just one of the funniest times uh, great bunch of people what section were you on? Uh, well I started on A section yeah uh, and then uh there was a bit of a reshuffle and uh, I finished up on uh, B section. Uh, both were, and it was, it was very odd. All four sections had very distinct characteristics. Yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. The yeah, same yeah. when I was on there. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, whether it was modelled on the sergeants or, you know, I, I, I don't know. A section were always, they were quite quirky. Uh, quite a quirky bunch, mm. um, very abstract sense of humour. B section were hugely competitive when it come when it came to you know in the gym, running anything. Uh, you know, uh, Aidy Brazner, who is a lovely, lovely man, Braz, great sergeant on B section. And when I transferred on there, he, he was he's a wonderful guy, uh, and everything was mega. He had to have mega calves, mega, mega, mega abs, and and he and he just the the, the lads. I won't say they cloned him, but they were just such a tight ship, you know. They they, they did really. C section were very similar, uh, under a guy called John Trainer. Uh, John was a great guy, really good sergeant, you know, a lot of time for him, and the lads that worked on there, um, they were just top notch lads, very similar. Slightly, you might say slightly smoother, more sort of lounge lizard, you might say, some of them, but very similar. And D sectioned were again a quirky bunch, um, but it, very competitive against each other. Um, yeah, there were there were allegations that sometimes there were van racing that happened. I can't, I can't possibly. I'm sure that never went on. Sure, no, no. you know, no. um, through the centre. Allegedly. Normally Mansfield Road, allegedly. On the way back to the lodge. It's quite a, quite a, yeah, you could, 
allegedly go up to quite some speed down there, I would have thought. Even in those even <laughs> those diesel transits, uh, fully laden with heavy, sweaty cops, but uh, but they were, you know, they were they were funny times. Um, were you all armed then? Yeah, yeah, all firearms trained. Um, what weapons were you using then? Uh, uh, muskets. <laughs> uh, keep your powder dry. Yeah, yeah. Keep your powder yeah, dry. Yeah. Um, MP5. <laughs> uh, it was the Smith and Wesson Model 10, uh, and. I was never a good enough sh- and shotgun. Shotgun. Shotgun, which I think got phased out. I might I start to be corrected on that. But um, it did but, get phased out. And it was only used then for by by specialist firearms. Yeah. Perhaps, the shotgun. Um, you know, shotgun shoulder. was uh, you know, rifle slug was an entertaining mm-hmm. piece of kit to fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never the best. Far from it. Um, uh, I think in qual shoes, I think I, I once shot a 48, that was the best, and I had a couple of reclassifications. Um, but a really enjoyable time, you know, uh, and I, I remember my first firearms job. Um, I'd only been on there a few weeks, and uh, this job came in, and um, it was basically uh, somebody had been arrested for shot theft. Section had gone and done a search and recovered a handgun. And this guy, backside fell out and said, Look, yeah, he's actually my mates, he's, he's gone to London to, well, the story was he'd gone to London to try and uh, finance some kind of firearms, at uh, some kind of armed robbery. And he'd taken with him a shotgun. And uh, he was due to come back to Clifford Court, just on, on Canning. So the plan was they got uh, two guys in an OP, uh, across the road in a derelict factory and um, obviously they were going to put guys in the flat and there was out of containment and all the business so we arrived at the briefing I think the briefing was at Canning and um, I'm thinking you know, I'll be making the tea or sharpening the pencils or doing something as it's my first one I'll be on out of containment because thinking it was breaking slowly yeah. and I'm looking around the room and it's so and so so and so in the OP point I think it's Andy Shardlow and Trev Negus the wonderful Trev Negus uh, um, with the with the snipers and would would have the eyeball, yeah. um, and the rest of the guys were you know you're on containment you're doing this you're doing that. I'm looking around the room thinking what the hell am I going to be doing, and then it got to the last four which was myself Simon Davis, Chris Reed, and Damon Wilkinson. Uh, you four guys are going in the flat. You're the welcoming committee. Ah, Christ. Right. Okay. Okay, that's that's great. That's that's you know that's a that's a massive vote of confidence. Yeah. yeah. And so we were in the flat. Um, we were in there for four o'clock, and they said they were going to review it uh, midnight. And you know the the magic every fifteen minutes, no change, no change. You know, eyeball yeah. to patrol, no change, no change. We got to about half past eleven, and uh, it came from it came from bronze commander, I think. We're going to run till midnight and we're going to call it and we're going to pull it. Okay. Literally about five minutes later, from the eyeball, from the eyeball, stand by, stand by. Blue, Nissan Bluebird, I think it was, uh, matching the description, has uh, just pulled into the car park. Stand by, stand by. That makes you on your next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's doing we it now. Have, yeah. And uh, uh, I see one uh, exiting the driver's side one occupant of the vehicle, um, 
can't, they couldn't get the bill hammered, I don't think. He's gone to the boot of the car, he's opened the boot of the car, he's picked out what looks to be a uh, long barreled weapon. Uh, he's loading the weapon. Nope. Uh, he's closed the weapon, he's now put the weapon inside his coat, stand by, stand by, boots down, he's walking towards the target premises. Now we were, I think, second floor. And we'd, um, I think it was seven flats or six flats. So we'd numbered them six, five, four, three. So eyeball, uh, yes, this is looking good. He's going towards the stairwell, total loss. And there's, there's like a pregnant pause for 20 seconds, 30 seconds. From the eyeball, he's out on the landing, not six, not five. Not four. By this time, we can hear footsteps. Now, I, as I was the biggest, I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll meet him. Um, we taken all the light bulbs out, so we couldn't, you know, we, didn't know, we didn't know what to expect from him. Uh, but bizarrely, there was a toilet right beside the front door. So I'm waiting in there. We've got two lads, and we decided we, we were going to tackle him unarmed because the walls are paper thin, so if we finish up fire shooting somebody, we could, you know, could yeah. be innocent people get. So what we did was, Chris Reed and Simon Davis were in the front room, and Damon was off upstairs. Basically, we'd, we'd created, if you like, an armory. We'd put all the weapons upstairs. When we got to, not four, we turned radios off. Footsteps. And, and it's a half glass window and he's backlit so I, I can see the silhouette of this guy and I hear him just fumbling around his pockets and the key goes in door opens and his hand comes in and he's feeling for the light and he's calling for his mate nothing Doesn't, and he's obviously thinking oh, in lights don't work and as the door swung open, as he got level with me, I hit him with everything I possibly could uh, and kept hitting him until he dropped. Uh, he, was, he thought uh, he cracked himself, which was pleasant. Um, we wrestled, he was trying to get to the weapon. So we subdued him, by which time the, the lads had joined us and we ripped his arms out got the shotgun out and uh, uh, obviously you know, it was loaded and it was real stuff in there um, and so he was almost relieved when he found out it was police because yeah. he thought he'd been double six and he thought his mate had set him up because yeah. it turned out that he'd had a load of money away from some gang or other or somebody or other and he thought there was a contract out on it yeah. so is that why he loaded the weapon well we don't know yeah. I don't know um, so that was my introduction introduction to to full support. That's quite a, that's quite a big first job from there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it was um, it was a special it was a special time, mm. special time on full support. I really, really enjoyed it. And how long did you do on there? Uh, I left there in ninety three. Um, so that's six years. Then. Six years. Yeah. Uh, so you all, all the usual stuff then, public order, firearms, football matches. Did all that, murder inquiries, special searches. I mean, this, the, the, 
It's a fantastic place to work, isn't it? It was. Um, it affects. It affects you deeply. Some of the stuff you did. Um, I remember uh, one December, uh, bitterly cold, snowing. A girl went missing. Uh, Eight-year-old girl went missing in Mansfield Woodhouse, and um, there were real concerns for her welfare. Uh, a guy had been arrested. Um, who had been seen by a dog handler and uh, who was double crew with a lad called John Smith, who you may or may not know, but John was not a man to be trifled with. Good uh, boxer. Very good boxer, yes, yeah. yes, he was, yes. He was a very good pugilist, because he was the art of pugilism. Mm. Uh, and they'd, they'd seen this guy uh, walking across a field and he turns out he'd, he'd been released from prison uh, only six weeks and got a load of form for uh, sexual offences um, they'd found him with a cardboard box which contained bloodstained clothing and uh, he wouldn't say where, where it had come from John tried to extract where it had come from uh, obviously you know, uh, the guy got arrested so full support were called in late afternoon and obviously the night drew in and we said look you know what this look you know, well if there's a chance she's out there we got to find her. So we were boots on the ground by, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, let's say six o'clock. And we were systematically searching. There's a, there's a big playing field and, and allotments and stuff. And uh, we were systematically searching this, this area when we get a call. This, by this time, it's 10 o'clock at night. Um, and and uh, the call is, there's a trail of blood found uh, on the pit tip somebody's come across it so everything gets switched over to the pit tip the blood's followed all the way over the tip to the back door of a house it turns out it's a guy who's been out rabbiting so so we then revert back to start where we were as it turned out we were literally within 100 yards of the girl I was second I was, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was half two, three in the morning. And the parents were out looking as well with a, with a, uh, a section officer, I think. And I heard, it might have been Simon Davis, I can't remember, but as, as we were going through these allotments, I just heard him say uh, to control, it's 10.55, or, you know, so, mm. so can we talk? Uh, and the, I heard the policeman say, stand by, you know, um, so she obviously turned the radio off. Um, and then I just heard him say, uh, found her, she's one of bleak one. By which time I walked across, I'd sort of, I was sort of in the next allotment, so I sort of shibbied through, and there's a 45 gallon water butt with these two legs sticking out. Oh. And, um, Mm. it was um, something that lives with you yeah. you know um, but you know we said and this was for support they wouldn't we'd have stayed until we found her yeah you know but um, yeah some jobs something like that don't oh yeah yeah but that's that's <clears throat> that's why you do that's why you do what you do that's why you wear the badge um or you carried the badge uh, for 
to do that and that's mm. the public service thing that's mm. the that's the part of the job that you know be it a fatal be it whatever it is that you have to go and knock on somebody's door and tell them that the sun's not coming home or you know and we've all done that i'm mm. sure all of us say it, yeah well, yeah too many times to mention really. uh, someone has to do it and someone has to do it well don't they yeah, and that's, that's important. Time, and yeah. that's, yeah, th- there's got to be a lot of compassion. And as much as, as much as I think in the old days, uh, cops try to, there was this sort of um, machismo thing, machismo, well, whatever the, whatever the pronunciation is, that you could cope with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, because you wore the badge and maybe, you know, people were frightened to say that it, that it was affecting them. But, you know, that was one of the things of full support. But again, you know, I did, I went, I did three years as with football intelligence on full support. So I went all over the country. It's funny how you put intelligence and full support in the same sentence there. And in certain sections. Oh, right. Only, okay. only, only <laughs> previous few. Yes. Not know, a natural link. No, yeah. no, they lift, lift heavy weights mm. and hit people, uh, <laughs> allegedly. Mm. Um, but it was it was a fantastic time, and you know you could put any combination of sections section lads together, and you would come up with a very very efficient bunch of lads. Mm. You know they weren't all. You didn't have to be super bright. You know you just had to, uh, you know, do what was asked of you, and you know you you went into some horrible places, and you know. And we were this, and I know sometimes section didn't like it. I remember once going to Jacksdale, where they had a load of public order problems with a with a family up there, and it was all getting quite out of hand, and the pubs were getting smashed up and all this sort of thing. So, and division were didn't have the manpower to to deal with it. So they sent two vans of force support up, and it was basically right. If we come across this, and they were going around, there were a gang of youths, just marauding gang of youths, going around with bike chains and all sorts of stuff. And they got sorted. They got properly sorted. Several got arrested. Uh, and That's they surprising. really didn't like it. Mm. And, and when they went out, we all went back. And there was a second wave. They all got sorted. And amazingly, you know, the... Uh, the area calmed down quite a lot mm. because in the, in the section lads were grateful that we'd gone a bit worried about what would happen afterwards oh, after, you went after we'd gone yeah. but yeah. it had, had such a dramatic effect I think mm. that they realised that you know that, that this body of people existed who were prepared to you know um, do what was necessary yeah. to, so to is it still people. like that well with, it certainly was in, the, when I was on yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is it? Will it still be now? Would it still be? Doesn't exist as such now, is it? It's, it's not now quite the same. TSG, isn't it? They're all armed largely. Well, they are armed, aren't they? Just uh, armed with taser only, I believe. So, would um, the same sort of no nonsense tactics be used nowadays, or is that a thing of the past that we might sadly miss? Or is it the future? Or is it the future? Well, this is what this is about, isn't it? Old, old Bill versus new ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly what Roger's saying, there was, was definitely a, uh, a propensity f- for, for being very hands-on and um, physical, say, physical the and need arose. pragmatic in their approach to, it, uh, to dealing with it, 
such such incidents and such youths. One one of the great skills, one of the great skills, and I remember very late in service, I, I had a probationer come out with me uh, when I was on the dog section, and uh, oh, well, I think no, he might have had his two because well, did they taser train in, in the probation? Don't think so. No. I think, well, he must have been just out of it because he, he, he was taser trained. Maybe he'd come on and attach, but I can't remember anyway. And his big thing was he had his, what, what was, the, was it, PR24, was it? The, the little hasp. The hasp. hasp. Oh, the yeah. hasp. He had his hasp, he had his gas, he had his taser and all these things. And he was mortified because I'd refused to be taser trained. But that was, I, towards the end of my service, I got very disillusioned with a lot of things. Uh, I carried my hasp. Um, and in all in all honesty, nine times out of ten, didn't take the pepper spray out because, and so he, so we got in the car and, he, and the first thing I said to him, I said, if you get that pepper spray out, I said, I'll hit you. <laughs> he said, what? I said, I said, why do you need all that stuff? Oh, well, yeah. I said, look, I know all about conflict resolution models. I said, but do you know the most important thing you've got, the best weapon you've got? pointed to me tongue. He said, what do you mean? I said, do you ever talk to people? What do you mean? I said, well, if somebody's jumping up and down in front of me, threatening to pull your head off or whatever, I said, they're never ever going to do it. I said, if you keep talking to them, eventually the adrenaline drops and they lose it. I said, and it's very hard. Once the adrenaline's gone, it's very difficult to get it back. I said, if you're in a situation where someone's just looking at you and not saying anything, that might be different. I said, because they are thinking about doing something. I said, those that threaten it very vocally and very loudly, very, very seldom do. I said, and in my, whatever it was then, 20 odd years, 27 years, I said, it's always the quiet ones you watch. And I said, and if, you know, and I said, if that's the case, you can get hold of them first and make sure you've got some backup. I said, but don't start getting that stuff out and tasering people when it's not <laughs> necessary. And he was quite, he was quite, Taken aback by it, I said, "Because I said, you, uh, you know, what have you been told about talking to people?" Mm -hmm. And he was like, "Well," I said, "Well, who's tutored you?" And again, it was a, it was a, you know, is the the guy who tutored him, and I'm not knocking the lad. It's just the way it was. To, it was an object lesson to me about the ways things seem to have changed. I won't say moved on, and I won't say better, but it was just a different way. Yeah, it is different, and. and you know, my thing even, and maybe it was a washover from, you know, uh, being in a small town where everybody spoke to everybody and that was just my way. Uh, you know, I would always go the extra mile to try and talk people around and, you know, because it's, you know, trying to talk people down, you know, because you don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know if somebody's mentally unstable you don't know what's triggering how they are yeah sure so the more you can talk to people i mean i remember on dog section it was a very quiet sunday night uh and i was i was come down i'd come down muscan road just drove over trent bridge i looked down and on beast market where the, where the barge is you can't i don't think you can get a car down to it now but right uh uh, just next to the bridge, you used to be able to park there. I don't think you can now. I just saw a car with its headlights on. And this was two in the morning. Mm, odd. So 
drove around, walked up. And there's a lady sat in the car, engine running, lights up on the window. She's not speaking. Engine's running, I'm thinking, mm, this isn't good. So I went around and stood in front of the car and spoke to her through the windscreen for an hour and a half until eventually she turned the key off and got out of the car. And she said, why did you stand in front of the car? I said, because if you're going to go, take me with you. I said, because that was your choice. Because I wasn't moving until you got out of the car or you took me with you. Turns out she was, she'd got issues. She had a, sounded like a very nasty breakup of a relationship and she driven somewhere she didn't know and she wanted to end it all and she was contemplating that mm. now I could have handled that differently I could try, try to smash the window in and grab it but that would have given a chance to accelerate and go in the river what happened to her after that I don't know uh, but we got somebody to come over I think she was from Leicester way we got somebody to come over and uh, and, and take her back what happened to her, I don't know. I can't say. But what I can say is, I gave her a chance. Yeah. Gave her an hour of your time. Yeah. And gave her a chance. Mm. And that to me, but that doesn't go in. That doesn't go on a on a, a job sheet or a, no. a work log. No, but it goes up here, though, doesn't it? It, it goes. goes in that memory of it goes. It goes. But that to me was what proper policing was about. It's mm. not about. And one of the big things that that I'd started to really rail against later in in my service when. You know, when the my idea of it being a family started to get really eroded in the sort of the later nineties into the thousands, was this mentality of this this target driven mentality that that came in, that you know you've got to make your targets, you've got to do this many uh, people, or you've got to arrest that many people. Yeah, and, give out this many tickets. And to give out this yeah. And and I was you know if somebody wanted to lock you up, I'd lock them up. If somebody wanted reporting, I'd report them. But if you stop somebody, because they've got yeah, they've got a stoplight or red light out or whatever, and you know you it's the last day of the month and you're short on offences, and you're giving somebody a ticket when there's no need to do it. Yeah. You know because you, what you don't know the following day, you might be in a very nasty fight or something down the road, and that guy's the one that drives past. Yeah. Yeah. And he remembers. And he had the blinkers on. Absolutely. If yeah. you treat him bad. So, yeah. but that, I think that was um, one of the ways the job, I don't think it's changed for the better. That, you know, that there was this thing that you've got to justify yourself. Uh, you know. Um, I think that's come and gone over the time, though, hasn't it? You know, I remember being no targets, then I remember being targets, yeah. then it went back to no targets. It depends on what the, uh, what the top per corridor think is the flavour yeah. of the month this month, yeah. isn't it? It's driven from, probably from the Home Office, I'd imagine, as to how we're going to... How we you know, dance to that tune. Yeah, how we're going to dance to that yeah. tune, yeah. So anyway, just um, taking you back then to force support. So uh, following force support, you took a demotion, went on to dog section. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> well, with the name like Barker, I can't. no way. I kind of yeah. had to do it. Um, was that a choice? Well, obviously, who did you know on dog section that enabled you to get on? <laughs> the honest answer, I, I'd applied, I think, three times, really, and not got on. And the only reason I got on, they had an increase in establishment of six, and so. Basically, I just got lucky. 
who's got fed up of you applying. applying the, yeah, uh, and so they give them a job. And so they, so they, they, uh, they took six on, and Stevie Abbott, rest his soul, and Bob Vaughan, the wonderful Bob Vaughan, uh, took the course, and they must have been pulling their hair out, having six novices, with six novice dogs. I mean, the work that they got through to get us. You know, to mm. to any any kind of because it's one thing. If so, what year did you go on dogs then? Ninety three. Ninety three. Was it harder to train you, or was it harder to train the yes. dog? <laughs> yes. Because the, the, those, you know, if you've got a natural dog, um, I well, my first dog Zoltan, uh, and if there's anybody listening who knows him, will know exactly what I'm talking about. He was a bit of a character. Right. He was a bit of a lad. Uh, a bit of a biter. He he lived for biting people. Oh, what a great dog! I um, like him already. Uh, but it, we were always. Um, I think I had the first bilingual police dog in the country. Because <laughs> uh, I just thought I was thick, and I, or I couldn't do it. But it, to sort of get him to do basic commands like sit, heel, and all these all these sorts of things always seemed to take me longer than the rest of the guys. Right. Wasn't there a clue in the name, the Eastern European name? Well, when we finally, we passed out, uh, and Zolt was, Zolt's legend was legendary for his tracking ability, or not, as the case may be. <laughs> Although op- operationally, he was very good. Um, and, and I think some, somewhere deep down, he knew the difference between operational and pra- and. and Training. Oh, this is serious now. I got to save myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, you know, uh, and he was a he was a proper piece of kit. Um, Let me tell you, he tolerated me because I fed him. That was that was about where (laughs) that was the only thing. That was about where it was. Anyway, um, what we used to I don't know if it still happens now is you don't get so many gift dogs. Uh, He'd come in as an eighteen month old uh, dog, uh, and he got too much for the guy who. Given him in, basically he was a long distance lorry driver. Turns out he's a he's a guy called Eric De Jaber. Uh, lived in Retford. He'd married a, or was living with an English girl, and um, a Flemish Belgian chap. And what we used to do is when we passed out, we'd have a very nice picture taken of the dog, or if there need be, that would dog and handler, get it framed and take it to the the people who donated the dog to say thank you very much. This is this is it. So, uh, one of my first operational duties, you know, I'd drive up to Retford where this guy lived, I raised to see him, went knocked on the door, and he came to the door, really, really nice guy, uh, invited me to have a cup of tea and what have you, and he said, uh, can I see Zoltan? Yeah, of course you can, so we go out and Zoltan's recognising a bit of a fuss, and he said, um, what's he like then? I said, well, yeah, he's all right. I said, but I had terrible trouble with him getting him to sit and to heal. And he went, really? I said, yeah, he said, oh, he's very bad. I said, I said, I have terrible trouble with it. He said, can we go down on the field? Down there? I said, yeah, he said, so we go down on this field nearby. So I get him out and he said, uh, and he said something in Flemish. The dog sat. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said something and, and Zolt sort of came to him and, uh, and danced on his hind legs he started singing and saying the ukulele I looked at him I shook my head I said I don't believe what I'm saying (laughs) 
He said, oh, yeah, he said, I, he said, I, I Did I not mention, yeah, that he yeah, speaks so, Flemish? So, <laughs> so I, had, I, I had a bilingual police dog. Uh, but Did he, you pick up any Flemish as a result? A lot of phlegm, <laughs> but that was about it. Um, but he, he was such a, a great character yeah. uh, and formidable, yeah. formidable dog. Um, when I came to, when I came to New York, I think we had 60 bites in the first 12 months, which was unheard of yeah. out here. Yeah. Was this back in the day sack- when you didn't get into a lot of trouble for biting? You'd was it? For that it was, yeah. Well, yeah. You'd be down to like two maximum. But it, it was just, you know, because I think because it was, I want to say, you know, they, they weren't used to uh, having the coverage out here because we got the extra staff, then places did get covered. Yeah. And, you know, because I knew the area, I was quite happy to come out and sit like, you know, the rat mm. runs, you know, the rabbit runs. And, and um, he was, it was just astonishing that sort of after about 12 months, I think we only had half the amount of bites the following year. But what used to happen was, uh, was it Time of Diva? Was it used to be out there? Yeah. And I'd park up there and people would come in and are you that dog handler with that mad dog? <laughs> I went, yeah. And they go, where is he? And I went, and he'd just come to the door and he just, and it always used to have the door, have the window sort of yeah. down. And this huge head would appear. So I said, do you want to meet him? No thanks. <laughs> you know, and, but we had great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and one or, one or two of the, uh, of the New York section lads at the time uh, were very kind of to hide up for me. Um, one or two got, got a bit close to the wire a couple of times because he, he, got very, he was very savvy very quickly, the dog. Um, proper alpha dog. And if, if somebody got angry with him, he would just get, you know, he would just up it. Mm. You know, he, he was That's great to me. Joff. So of those 60 bites in that first year, how many of those were police officers? None. Really? None. Oh, you did quite well then. I did well than me. I've got a few scars. <laughs> so if, mm. if, there's, you know, if you look there, there's a... Oh yeah. Was that Zoltan? Was that Zoltan? Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that because he was just excited, or because he couldn't get well, well, we fell he out? Oh, uh, he fell out. We fell out. Yeah, right. and he won. Right. Uh, it was. It was at that point you started doing as you told, Rog. Yeah. You, had to sit, <laughs> you, you started driving, and you sit. had to sit in the back. Yeah. Sit, Rog. <laughs> I mean, my abiding memory of him uh, uh, was uh, the day that I had to have him put to sleep. Oh. Um, the last thing he tried to do was nail the vet. <laughs> good boy uh, and it was like you know old habits really do die hard and you know I miss the lad every day uh, miss him every day so how many dogs did you have well in total uh, uh, opera- operational dogs then, operational um, yeah when I when I had yeah when I had uh, Zoltan uh, he was quite ill he got quite ill he had something called a megaesophagus which meant he couldn't swallow properly uh uh we thought he got cancer, but we managed to manage that condition and get another sort of 12, 18 months out of him while I brought a pup on. A pup called Murphy, lovely dog, um, bit of an Italian paratrooper, looked the part, first sign of trouble, he was off. Oh, my God. Uh, so, um, a white colour. Yeah, apologies to any Italian. <laughs> yeah, sorry for our Italian yeah, listeners. Uh, yeah. but, but We're big in Italy. Yeah, we, no, the, we were. Well, we were, yeah. We were, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then I went through a succession. Uh, a, I, went, I, know, I must have done four or three or four, maybe five initial courses with uh, dogs that just. I actually got an operation with a dog called Rudy. 
but he was a, he was uh, one of these dogs that one minute he looked the part, next minute he didn't want to know. He was just and I had a couple of cases where he just ran alongside people and, and wouldn't do it, and so decision was made that he was re, you know, he was uh, rehomed. Um, Dockle King, Dockle Chief, um, who didn't get off the end of courses. And I must have gone, I don't know, maybe two years without being fully operational. And then uh, Bob Vaughan came in one day, he said, um, I think I've got a dog for you. I said, right, okay. He said, but don't be fooled by first impressions. Right, okay. Now Zoltan was 42 kilos, a big strapping yeah. dog. Yeah. Bob takes me down to the kennels and introduces me to Nimbus, who became my next dog. And Nimbus, down over the back room, was 32 kilos. He, he, all his service, he looked like a 10-month-old pup. And I, I looked at Bob and went, really? He said, just... Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Yeah. Right, okay. Was it a shepherd? Shepherd, yeah. 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 Uh, so we went up top field, paid his, uh, and Pete Baxter, I think it was, uh, Pete put a sleeve on. And uh, normally what you do, you do what we call a bit of baiting, and get them, teach them to bite the sleeve. This Nimbus had obviously done a little bit because uh, Bob went for a full hundred yards straight chase right off, the, right off the bat. So Pete's got and Pete's a very, very good criminal. Big, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah knocking yeah. over yeah. Pete Baxter. Released Nimbus, and it was it was like the electric hair. He flew. Down the field, airborne, took, put, took Pete clean off his feet. Uh, and by which, the, by the time he got back, he was my dog. Yeah, you fell in love with him oh, whilst but, he was airborne. But yeah. he was very different, it, 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 very different character. Zoltan was bulletproof. This lad, if you, you couldn't raise your voice at him, you had to be very, very gently, gently with him. But it was, whereas Zoltan was more like a, you might say uh, a classic Division Three English centre half, not very stylish, but he could stop people. Nimbus was a, was your number ten, tricky inside forward, very bright, very intelligent dog, and would work out how to get into people. Whereas mm. Zolt would go straight through, he he rip bits of wood off things and whatever. Nimbus <laughs> would work out a way around. So very different, and actually suited, and but was a was a brilliant friend, and I also had. Uh, a springer called Cymru who was just one of the best things um, a, a brilliant brilliant drug dog and also um, although he was never trained uh, as a firearms recovery dog actually two of my best finds with him were, were, were weapon recovers wow. uh, which were just astonishing and I to this day I don't know how he did it but he did. Wow. Um, you know, uh, we yeah, got a couple of minutes. Basically, um, so, the bit of frack orange lantern, uh, two shed, two dog members. I'd come off evenings, I was just cleaning the van down, ready to, to, to go. I was on four midnight. So I'd rolled back into the lodge at half 12, cleaned the van down, controller shouted up, is your dog, is your Springer weapon recovery, recovery dog? I said, no, he's done one search. And that's it. 
uh, any chance you'd go and try and recover a weapon for us? Well, you know, it's down to the duty inspector, but I'll go. So if you don't mind, it's public order, we can't use the shepherds. Da, da, da. Right, okay. So back down to uh, just off Stenton Dale, just past the nick. There's a, I can't remember the name of the street, but it runs at the top. 30 garden search, um, and 20 odd gardens in. I'm thinking, this is a complete waste of time. And you always try and work the dogs into the wind and everything like that. Drop him into this next garden, and he goes to the bottom of the house, in the front garden, so his head comes up, a bit like the Visto kid, trots all the way up the garden, and there's this huge rhododendron bush in the front garden. He disappears underneath, and all I can see is his tail wagging, so I know he's got something. I go in, look underneath, and backlit is the hang up that this guy's discharged in this house, and some sort of house party, and what have So he'd recover the weapon. Two weeks later, he recovered two stolen shotguns on a drug search for Tom Morgan. Mm. Yeah. For Tom, Tom at Worksops. I've no idea how he knew how to do it, but he did. Great. So, happy times on the dog session. So, did you see that the rest of your career on dog I did. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. So, uh, just to sum it up then, Rog, can you sum up your career in, you know, in a, in, sentence. In a sentence? In a sentence? First two thirds of it, I loved it. Uh, the change came at a difficult time for me in my life. Last five years were a nightmare. Overall, good. Overall, yeah. If you, if you intersper- yeah, the way I try and deal with it is I intersperse the the bad times with the good. And you know, was I proud of what I did? Yes, I am. Good. Um, and uh, it was a privilege to work with a lot of very very great people. And you know, so. Never had any desire to go up the ladder. Didn't think I was good enough to go up the ladder. But was very privileged to do, to work central, to work on full support, which was just a wonderful, funny, funny time with some great people. And dog section, very rewarding, but in a very different way. Uh, and made some, uh, made some real good friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, people, as you would say, would you go in the trenches with them? Absolutely, I would. I think we'd love to have you back to talk some more about all yeah. those things you did in your career. Absolutely, yeah. So we'll we'll wrap this one up here then. I think for the for the moment, yeah. we'd better Fox Trot Oscar. Fox Oscar, thank you. Thank so you very much, much for coming, Roger. Thank sharing you. all that with us. Brilliant. Spot on.